Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start our episode today, this is just a reminder, History Hack does have a Patreon account and all of your donations are gratefully appreciated. There's lots of perks on there, secret groups on Facebook. Do get involved. We would love to see more of you. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. I'm really thrilled today because we have a returning guest. You may remember how massively excited I got to spend a whole hour talking about Robin Hood with the lovely Thor Ewing. Well, he's back today to talk about another one of his passions, which is sort of Norse, Scandinavian, Viking mythology. I'm really looking forward to this. Hi, Thor. Hello, how are you? Not bad, not bad. I'm glad we're coming out the other side of this. When we spoke last time, I think we were in lockdown again, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, still, we we haven't quite come out the other side of the, the dreadful lurgy yet. No, fingers crossed, though, that it's coming to an end. Well, let's cheer people up for today anyway. Um, mm-hmm. What got you into this kind of mythology? So I was uh, called Thor at birth, and that's because my dad had a dream um, before I was born in which he met Thor, and as he told me, they, they talked about all sorts of different things. But the one thing that he could remember was that at the end, Thor said to him, you're going to have a son and I want you to call him after me. And at that time, my mum my was pregnant. And um, so I was uh, I was very much kind of coming along. Um, and Thor said, if you wake up, you'll just think this is a silly dream. So I'll send you a sign in the morning. So my dad woke up and told my mum about it. And there was a single clap of thunder. And they decided that it was best not to ignore the dream after all. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a cool story. Yeah, just in case there was any uh, chance that they weren't going to take it seriously. What kind of yeah. evidence do we have for this mythology that we're going to be talking about today? Um, well, there's a sort of limited evidence. There are some sources from the Viking Age. So there are pictures which show illustrations of gods and myths, but we wouldn't be able to know what they were at all if we didn't have written evidence as well. Um, some of the written evidence is of poems that go back into clearly pre-Christian Scandinavia. So we're talking, you know, poems that were written by Vikings who worshipped the gods that are described in the myths. 
Um, but the most important evidence really is from Christian Iceland, mm. where there was a writer called Snorri Sturluson who looked back at the myths and because he was a poet and Norse poetry used myths as a way of expressing itself. So it used a lot of, um, a lot of things called kennings and a kenning is a way of knowing or kenning something without naming it directly. And you can have um, simple ones. So the, um, the stub for a helmet, the, the helm stub is a head. Mm. And so that, you know, you can, you can get that without needing any background knowledge. But then there are a lot that actually rely on you knowing the myths. So, um, for instance, Hrungnir's shield is a kenning for a boat. And you couldn't possibly know that unless you knew that Hrungnir is the name of an Etin or giant in Norse mythology. And when he confronts Thor in a duel, he stands on his shield, so it's like a boat. And so when you know that, um, when you know that myth, then you see that Hrungnir's shield can mean a boat. And likewise, Hrungnir's boat can mean a shield. It's brilliant the way it crosses over. And when we're looking at these myths, they're not just um, relevant to Scandinavia and Iceland and the far northern reaches of Europe, are they? They're key for other cultures such as Germany and even Anglo-Saxon England as well. That's right, yeah. So the Scandinavians were the last people to practice the traditional religion that had been more or less shared by all the Germanic-speaking nations. So there are differences. Um, when the Scandinavians talk about Thor, then the Anglo-Saxons would have talked about Thunor and um, the, the Germans uh, have Donner. Um, but we're talking about basically the same system of religion. And sometimes you can see things that are clear parallels between them. There's very little that survives from German and Anglo-Saxon mythology. But we know that um, the Anglo-Saxons talked about their god Woden as hanging in heaven. And so that relates to the myth of Odin as hanging in the world tree, Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil actually means the steed of Ig, and Ig, or Hora, is one of the other names of Odin. Um, and it's a, a central myth about Odin is the idea of him hanging in this tree that supports all nine worlds, including the upper worlds of, of the sky. And um, so Odin hanging in the upper branches is hanging in heaven. And that is a phrase that's used of the Anglo-Saxon god Woden as well. That's, I love how it's all interconnected. We talked about... Um, You've mentioned a lack of sources and mentioned that we um, we take um, the Icelandic writing um, as a significant base for some of the stuff that we know. Mm -hmm. Is there a danger if you have one very good source like him that your perception can be skewed? Um, you can compare that you compare this to ancient Greece, don't you, where there are many different sources? 
Yeah, so in ancient Greece, um, the sort of the main source is, is Hesiod, um, who presents a, a sort of a nice, neatly packaged version of all the myths that hangs together and makes sense. But we know from other sources, um, and, and there were other people that, that tried to do a similar job to Hesiod, but came up with a different arrangement. Um, but we know from other sources that there are myths that simply don't fit into the overall framework. And I think the same is true of Viking mythology. And uh, Snorri Sturluson, he's not really trying to create that same neat packaged framework in the way that Hesiod does with mm. Greek. But he does very much present a version. And um, sometimes he confronts the fact that there are two versions. So for instance, when um, Thor goes fishing for the world snake, it's one of the, one of the children of Loki, is this enormous snake, um, which Odin has cast when it was just a little baby snake, he cast it into the ocean. And mm. in the ocean, it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew until it wraps itself all around the world and it grips its tail in its teeth. And Thor, is challenged to go fishing and he decides that he's going to go fishing for the wealth snake and so off he goes and he drops a, a bull's head into the water and his fishing companion is so scared when he sees the snake's head that he cuts the line and the snake drops back into the water Thor throws his hammer after it but doesn't kill it and then Snorri says, but in some versions of the story, he did kill it. Um, but it's important for Snorri that he doesn't kill it, because then he can go on to tell the story of how in the future, at the Doom of the Powers, Ragnarok, mm. Thor will kill the world serpent. He'll be pitted in battle against it again. He'll crush its head. He'll walk nine steps and then the cloud of poison that has come off the snake will envelop Thor and he'll collapse and he too will die. So he does sometimes have, have this awareness and there are other times where he'll present two stories and, and he doesn't draw attention to the fact that he's just given you two versions that don't agree with each other. Um, but then the Bible does that too. You know, it's oh. it's a sort of, it's a regular thing in uh, all religions that you get stories that conflict with each other, and people either just say, "Well, that's how it is," or or sometimes they they find ways to reconcile them with each other. I would like to ask. So when I because I have no knowledge of Norse mythology, this is all new to me. But when I think of um, like pre-Christian religions and um, many gods they're always gods of something uh, like venus god of love uh, is that the same for the norse mythology as well well yes and no um so i think even if you look at early classical mythology it probably would have been seen sort of like that but slightly differently too so you can see venus as love or uh, as sexual love as desire and, and Freya, the Viking equivalent, fulfills that purpose. And um, this was something that in, in, in the case of Venus or, or Freya in particular, when Iceland became Christian or, or started to drift towards Christianity and 
and secularism at the same time, in fact, um, you got a sort of odd perspective where people started to judge the gods according to the standards of human morality. Now, that would never have made sense in, um, in pre-Christian thinking. Mm. But there's a poet who, who raises um, this idea at the assembly. Um, and he, um, he says, uh, I'm trying to think how, but basically he, he calls Freya a bitch. Mm. And this is illegal because it's blasphemy. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, a general perception that that's, you know, that's out of order. But it's only, in a sense, what you would expect from the goddess of sexual love, because she is available to all of us. And in the stories, then it more or less says the same about her, how she, you know, how she goes among the he-goats, for instance. And it's what you need because if she limits herself to the love of just one, then it means that people down here on earth, we don't get to understand sexual love. And so it's not going to be much fun for us. And there won't be any babies to carry on the species either. So, you know, she, it's important that, um, that Freya shares herself with all of us because that's her purpose. That is what she is. And likewise, so you have um, Freya, sexual love. Uh, Thor is more or less the thunderstorm, the power of lightning in particular, I think, which is the most obvious form of pure energy. Um, Odin, his name means something a bit like madness, if understood in a kind of broad sense. Um, there's a a Latin writer, Adam of Bremen, who describes Odin, he says, uh, it est furor, that is fury. Um, and Odin covers kind of war madness and poetry and inspiration and wisdom, all kind of qualities of the mind, where the mind is, if you like, possessed in some way. Um, and, and so various gods, you can can see them in that light and they it's not so much that they are the gods of those things but that they are the thing in itself and uh, there's a there's a lovely little line of poetry which I actually put at the front of my version of the Viking myths which is it says simply the gods must be in the land and it comes from the time of the conversion of Iceland. And the poet has accepted that, yes, we are going to have a change of practice. And the Icelanders still call the conversion the change of practice, not a change of belief or a change of faith, but a change of practice. And he says, yes, we'll be Christian, but the gods will still be in the land. Because you can't have a world without the thunderstorm, without love, without wisdom these things exist no matter what you might say and, and so the the christian perspective is to put them all together under one almighty god um but the the old way of seeing it is is slightly different to that that's brilliant i've got you've mentioned in the context of sort of love obviously 
why so you see this in ancient Greece and we talked about it with Bethany Hughes as well um mm. why gods were always so badly behaved and in in essence it's because they're providing lessons on morality as well aren't they yes well I think the way that um the way that morality is shown in Viking myths is quite interesting and I'm not sure I'm not sure what Bethany Hughes has to say about how it works in Greek myths, but I think the the Viking myths really are interested in morality, but yeah. they don't present the gods as moral exemplars. Okay. And so you get things where um, the gods, you can see them forced to trick their way through situations in order to overcome their enemies. And this might make us feel somewhat uncomfortable and, and it should make us feel uncomfortable. Mm. But the gods are the powers that we depend on for all that makes us other than just, um, all that raises us out of the purely physical and material. The, they are the bits that make us divine. And we need them. And so we're on their side. And when they're tricking their way through, then we're still on their side. The myths do recognize that this might not be ideal. And they present us with the figure of Balder. And Balder is the most beautiful of gods. He is described as always fair-minded and always even-handed. And everybody loves Balder. Hmm. And he always has a, a kind of even-handed and good, clear judgment on everything, and it's always a good one. But nobody listens to what he says. Nobody pays any heed to Balder, and Balder is the god that ends up dead. And so there's a recognition that these things are beautiful, they're, they're valuable and important. And when Balder's funeral comes, then the gods and their enemies, the Etins, both turn up to honour him in his death. But in the end, we can agree with it as being wonderful, but it's not, it's not. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. But, um, it's not the way things are done. And that the, there's a certain sort of grim reality to that. And you can see it in the world today. There's lots of crises all the time in the world. And you know, you know, you think you can see, well, this, they, they ought to be able to settle this. You can see a fair solution, but neither side goes for it. Mm. And the Vikings were well aware of that. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So they're obviously fantastic stories and we enjoy them. Um, But what can we take from mythology as historians? A lot of medieval writers um, tried to interpret the myths as history. Yeah. And there are people that that still do that. And um, uh, most famously recently, Thor Heyerdahl um, wrote a book which took seriously Snorri's suggestion that the gods were actually people who had come from Asia, and that's why they're called the Aesir, because they came from Asia. Um, It's not, you know, that's not a sensible approach to take, but in my opinion. Yeah. But it is one that people still do take sometimes. Um, Snorri, of course, as a Christian, wanted to make very clear that the gods are not to be worshipped. Yeah. So that was that was a really important thing for him, and so he invented all this other history. And Saxo in Denmark did something similar. But the myths do tell us stuff about um, about Viking religion. Yeah. Um, and there are there are elements of that hidden in it. Um, one example that I am particularly fond of is the myth of Thor's goats. Mm-hmm. And Thor has two goats, one's called Toothnasher, one's called Toothgrinder, and they pull his wagon through the skies. And they appear in several myths of Thor, but in one case, Thor turns up at a farmer's house along with Loki, who often travels alongside him. And they come down and they bring the wagon down and they have the two goats with them and they ask the farmer if they can stay there for the night. And the farmer says yes, but he doesn't have anything to give them. Now, he's probably aware that Thor has a legendary appetite and he's quite capable of eating all the farmer's livestock in one sitting. But Thor (laughs) says, well, don't worry about that. I've got my two goats with me. And so without more ado, the goats are killed and skinned and Thor lays the skins out by the fire and he puts the flesh in a pot on the fire to cook but he says you can eat as much of the meat as you want but don't touch the bones the bones must be laid on the two skins by the fire Mm -hmm. and so when it comes to the time for supper they're all sitting down together and the farmer's son, a boy called Thialvi, has a big bone in his hand, a big leg bone. And Loki suggests to him that maybe he should eat the marrow out of the bone. And so Thialvi takes a knife and he splits the bone and scoops out the marrow. And then he puts the broken bone along with the others on the skin. But in the morning, Thor gets up and he takes his hammer across the skins and the goats spring up alive and well. Hmm. Except one of them has a broken leg. And 
So that's a, that's a lovely story, and it goes on from there, of course, when Thialvi ends up having to pay a price by serving Thor for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, but it also reflects the fact that when the Vikings sacrificed to their gods, and the goat was the sacrifice that you offered to Thor, the goat or the bull, um, then you would offer the animal to the god, you'd take the skin off and the bones and the skin were the God's portion and the meat was cooked up and you ate the meat, but you mustn't touch the bones. And in that story, there's a, um, that's given mythical shape. So you understand from the story that you mustn't touch the bones because then the, the animal, when it comes to life in the world of the gods, which is supposed to happen on the moment of sacrifice, um, then it will have a broken bone and you you don't want to offer the god something with a broken bone that's brilliant i love i love that <laughs> it is isn't it it's lovely i i yeah. i think it's a it, it sort of really adds to the to the feeling of the myth when you you have that in your head at the same time absolutely and um, are there any constant themes and tropes that we see in norse mythology um, well, one of the unusual things in Norse mythology is the idea that everything's coming to an end mm. and that this is not a sort of joyful, eternal world. Um, there's this constant awareness that things are going to end. The doom of the powers, when, um, when the gods and the Etins will fight. And the, the Etins have been there from the beginning. They're often called the giants, uh, but they don't always appear to be big. And so I tend to avoid the word giant. Uh, yeah. the, the Viking word is Jotun, and it probably means something like eater originally. And uh, in, in Scots, there's the, there, there's the word Etin, which comes up in the Red Etin of Ireland, for instance, which is a traditional folk tale. Um, and so that's why I call them Etins. Um, so the gods and the Etins are going to fight and Loki will lead um, half of the dead against the gods and the other half of the dead will fight for the gods. And so there's this these two armies of dead and... Um, Loki's son, the world serpent, will surge up from under the ocean and the water will cover the land. And his other son, uh, the wolf, Fenrir, will break free from where the gods have bound him. And he will, his mouth will be so wide that it stretches from earth to heaven and he'll swallow the stars and the whole sky will be covered in blood. And you can tell this isn't going to go well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so basically the, the gods and the Etins destroy each other in the final battle. And this is what the whole thing is sort of leading up to and looking forward to, if looking forward is the right term. And there's a phrase that comes up occasionally, the grey wolf looks on the land of the gods, which is the wolf Fenrir, just eyeing up waiting for the moment when it will be able to break free. And there's this sense of impending doom, um, 
which does really inform the myths. And I think there's there's always, in other ways as well, there's this sense that, um, that our existence is precarious. And I think that's probably because life in Scandinavia was relatively precarious. You know, a few yeah. hard winters and you were done for. And so, you know, it, they, they were living on the edge and the mythology, I think, reflects that fact. I, th- I love it. You've, you've told us the goat, which I thought was wonderful. But can you give us one of your, who's your favourite Norse mytho- mythological character? I mean, it, it's probably going to be Thor, isn't it? Because it's you. Um, and it you have to be Thor. <laughs> Someone we know a little bit less. Yeah, well, Thor is, um, is of course, my favourite. And also, he seems to have been the most popular of all the gods among the Vikings, too. Mm. And indeed in in sort of the wider germanic world what we know of it thor was also very popular um odin of course in his various forms is is also popular um and freya is is very very popular um and when snorri was writing um he said that in norway um the Worship of the old gods was extinct, he believed, except for the worship of Freya. So it survived into into the 13th century, at least, um, quite possibly well beyond that. And another favourite of mine, a more obscure favourite, though, uh, well, I have to mention Loki, who, um, who is, he's such an ambivalent figure. And um, I... I want to sort of celebrate him a bit because in so many retellings, which want to make the gods out to be the good guys, then Loki gets cast as the bad guy. And yeah. actually, I don't think it's like that. It's it's subtler than that. And yeah, you can you can make it work like that, but it's not really what's going on. And I think Loki is far more interesting than that and, and far more fun as well. Um, Who's a who's an obscure character that we could talk about? Kvasir. Mm. Um, Kvasir is an interesting one because um, he introduces the idea of two different tribes of gods as well. There's not only the Aesir, which are the main gods, but the Vanir too. And Freya is actually from the Vanir and her brother Frey and their father Njurth. They're all Vanir gods. And the thing with the Vanir and the Aesir starts off with a war. And the Vanir and the Aesir are sort of, they realise that they are just knocking hell out of each other. And it doesn't make sense for them to carry on. So they agree to have a truce. And they swap hostages. And this is how Njord and Frey and Freya come to join the Aesir. And the Aesir give two of their gods to the Vanir too. And then they all spit into, um, into a vat. Mm. And Odin steps up and he conjures over the vat and he brings a man out of the vat. And this man is called Kvasir. And because he's made of the spittle of all of the gods, both Aesir and Vanir, so he has the wisdom of all the gods. 
And he goes out and he brings his wisdom all the way across Midgard, the, uh, our world, the middle world. And so he brings knowledge and wisdom to people. Um, he comes to a sticky end. He gets done in by two jealous dwarfs whose names are Fjallar and Galar. And um, they kill Kvasir and Odin brings back Kvasir's blood to the land of the gods, ultimately. There's a, there's a lot of story in between those yeah. points. But, um, <laughs> he brings back Kvasir's blood as mead to the gods, and he then shares that out among the gods, and he gives some to people. And the people who get the most mead are the wisest and the best poets among people. But um, as Odin was flying home with the mead, he was being chased and um, flying home. Yeah, there, you can tell there's a lot to this story. Yeah. <laughs> he was flying home in the form of an eagle. Um, and uh, he was so scared uh, that he wet himself as he came in to land. And so some of the meat got scattered outside the walls of Asgard, the land of the gods. And that meat is there for anyone to take. And that's why um, there are people who set themselves up and think they're great poets or great really wise people and so on but actually they're you know it's just just dreadful doggerel that they're reciting and or their wisdom is useless because they've just found the bits that came out the wrong way from Odin before he managed to to bring the mead back to the gods really so like that's fancier <laughs> <laughs> I like that one too oh it's so good and um, I want to ask you just to round off because <laughs> We've mentioned Loki, we've obviously mentioned Thor. I'd love to know how you feel about the massive explosion of Norse mythology and popular culture, uh, namely the fact that Disney are making an absolute fortune with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, I, I think it's great. Um, it's got very little to do with the Viking myths, right. really. You know, they've they've taken the characters and they've run with them. They've transformed the characters as well, and that's that's fine. You know, you can do what you want with a story and with a character from a story. I hope that people will be drawn to to look um, to look into the myths and and the gods behind them. Um, but you know, the their stories, it's. It's not the Viking myths, okay. and I think the the one thing that you know sometimes is is a, a bit of a niggle is when people get confused and think that somehow this is a, an accurate reflection, and and of course the whole sort of superhero version of reality is about a very sort of glib morality mm. where you know, one side defines itself as right and then is justified in doing whatever it wants um, and, and claiming authority to do so because they are right. Um, but, you know, I mean, obviously it, it's slightly more subtle than that, but there's a, it does encourage that, that sort of um, one-sided mentality. And I think the Viking myths have, have such a more subtle approach to ideas of right and wrong. Um, not that it necessarily encourages or, or encouraged their followers to um, to have a more subtle approach. Um, maybe 
you know, they, I think the Vikings, one would look at Viking history and say, well, they were pretty self-centered bunch and yeah. they went out <laughs> and took what they wanted at whatever cost to whoever they encountered. And I think there is that in the Viking myths too. You know, there's, there's, a, there's that kind of willfulness um, and, and a hard-headedness that maybe doesn't encourage good behavior. I think that's wonderful. So the message is, don't think you've seen all of Norse mythology through Marvel. <laughs> don't don't really think you've seen any of Norse mythology, <laughs> um, but do enjoy it because you know it can be fun. Brilliant, Thor! Thank you so much for coming on and giving us another uh, brilliant tale. I love it. Thank you, Alex. Love it. Um, if you want to come back and talk about more myths, please do. I know people will love them. Um, but thank you. That would be great. Yeah. When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book. The 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.